Welcome to the Peacebuilding Practitioner, a resource page and podcast for people working on conflict, on peacebuilding and on social justice issues. My name is Bjorn Eser and I'm the founder of and shaker and maker behind the Peacebuilding Practitioner. Welcome back to Season 3 of the Peacebuilding Practitioners podcast. Season 3 is all about digital peacebuilding, this highly complex, tremendously exciting, often messy and quickly developing intersection where emerging technologies and the digital world on the one hand and conflict transformation, peacebuilding, human rights and social justice work on the other hand meet. So, Season 3 of the Peacebuilding Practitioners podcast and its focus on digital peacebuilding is finally ready to rumble. Today's episode marks the start of four months, or maybe even more, of thought-provoking and inspiring interviews with experts guiding us through a variety of angles of this new, exciting and sometimes intimidating aspect of our work. To bring us all on board and to prepare a solid base for the episodes to come, I want to share some of my thoughts on digital peacebuilding and how I got interested in this topic in the first place. I want to explore how emerging tech and digital means add new dynamics and increasing complexity to conflict drivers on the one hand, while also offering an ever-increasing range of powerful tools and new frameworks that enable promising peacebuilding interventions with never-seen levels of reach and inclusion that are owned and adapted by the very people who are directly affected by violent conflict on the other hand. So, without further ado, let's get started. Changing environments with new threats, additional risks and more safety and security concerns. Conflict transformation and peacebuilding has entered the 21st century, and not just yesterday. For decades, slowly in the beginning, but with increasing speed, force and significance in recent years, technological developments, digital infrastructure and modern communication habits have impacted conflict dynamics on the one hand, as well as peacebuilding options on the other hand. Many of us have heard, or at least read about, the malicious use of emerging technologies and digital infrastructure – and people have started to develop at least a basic understanding of the potential threats these developments pose. And yes, the list of real and potential threats to society is almost endless, and I just want to name a few examples from recent years, just to get the discussion started. People active on social media are all too familiar with online bullying and online trolling. Similar dynamics, but on a much larger scale and with significantly severe consequences, obviously, can be seen when social media platforms are used for creating a climate of fear and intimidation on a national or international level, when they are used for hate speech and for stirring up violence, often aimed at minorities and vulnerable groups within society. The algorithms of most of the big players favor extreme content and hate speech, over nuanced debates and balanced arguments. Combine this with a common practice of gross negligence to deal with violence-inciting posts and you have a recipe for disaster. Let me here just name, for example, the alleged facilitation of mass killings of Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar as laid out in a recent class action complaint by survivors and their relatives. Other examples can be found in the meddling of state and non-state actors in a number of elections and other national decision-making processes in order to unfairly influence their outcomes. 
The case of Cambridge Analytica is one of the more prominent examples. And not just since the documentary The Great Hack about the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal is available on Netflix. Although I think it's really worth watching. The wide-ranging surveillance by authoritarian regimes, often followed by harassment and much worse, is another cause of concern, with China's surveillance, especially of its Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities, just being the tip of the iceberg. Recent developments in various hot conflicts, most recently in Ukraine, for example, have seen the use of off-the-shelf technical gadgets, drones, and open-source software, GPS geolocation software, as key to shaping battlefield tactics and developing longer-term defense strategies. The terrorist attacks on various targets in Mumbai and India back in 2008 were partly planned and later on executed using Google Earth and Google Street View. Crowdsourced testimonies and images, real ones as well as manipulated ones, from violent conflicts are shared on social media, where they compete to influence public opinion and where they compete for the power to interpret the realities on the ground to the international community, as we are currently witnessing in Israel and Palestine. These are just some examples of the countless examples from a changing environment with increasingly complex conflict drivers, new threats to and additional risks for the social fabric of society and more safety and security concerns for individuals, not just for peace builders but for ordinary citizens alike. But the recent developments in the technology sector and digitalization in the last quarter of a century also opened up new opportunities for conflict transformation and peacebuilding practitioners, for human rights defenders and social justice activists. So let's briefly focus on these new opportunities in order to put us in a good and balanced position to dive into this still emerging, often chaotic, sometimes intimidating, but always exciting field of digital peacebuilding. A new world filled with exciting opportunities leveraged to shift power balances and the chance to move from inclusion to agency. The potentially malicious and often dangerous use of modern technology, digital infrastructure and online platforms is well known and often widely criticized. We just spoke about that. The potential these very same developments bring about for conflict transformation and peacebuilding practitioners is much less well understood and its potential has barely been tapped. It's just in the last few years that we see increased efforts to actually raise people's awareness about the potential of the tech and digitalization revolution for our field of work, to motivate peacebuilders to proactively use digital peacebuilding interventions to foster their aims and objectives, and learn to use tech creatively with confidence and with purpose. Scanning public social media platforms and messenger accounts is increasingly part of a comprehensive conflict analysis process. Artificial intelligence-driven speech analysis programs have improved early warning mechanisms. Open source mapping software is commonly used to document human rights abuses and other social ills in real time. It helps to guide responses, informs media practitioners and provides evidence for policy initiatives. Even small and in regards to tech rather inexperienced organizations in regions with unreliable internet access and low levels of digital literacy embrace the use of digital means as a key element to implement their peacebuilding work. Email-based training courses, the participatory production and dissemination of podcasts and the use of social media platforms for campaigning ends 
are just some of the options with very low entry thresholds. More ambitious concepts might include the use of drones for community-driven mapping exercises in relation to natural resource conflicts, online schools which provide a range of self-paced online courses on demand, or serious games training peace builders through the use of immersive technology. Many of these approaches are more demanding, with a special appeal to the more tech-savvy among us. Very resource-intensive consultation approaches using digital technologies in support of high-level political processes in highly complex settings, like the one in Libya or Colombia in recent years, set the entry threshold much, much higher. But despite this, these processes are more and more common and the United Nations and others are quickly building the needed capacity to use these newly emerging opportunities and to use them well. From this brief overview, you can already see that there is not a clearly defined field of digital peace building. And while some of us work with a rather broad concept covering an almost arbitrary collection of tools and techniques, technologies and methodologies, others are stricter in their definition. While the former group often includes all forms of digital to work for peace, for example moving a strategy development process for a peace project from being face-to-face to being held online, for example via Zoom or MS Teams, the latter insists that digital peace building is narrower in scope. That means the digital aspect is essential to reaching the very goals and objectives of the intervention. For example, crowdsourcing reports about election-related violence in a country, using mobile phones and other communication devices, displaying the information in real time and making it easily accessible to peace workers, to community leaders, to election observers, security forces and others. Here we can see the digital aspect is key to the intervention. And while this ambiguity and lack of clarity sometimes leads to confusion, it also encourages interested actors to get involved, engage in peer processes and comparative learning processes, see what works and what doesn't work, and jointly shape this new sector. And yes, there are plenty of opportunities to be involved. There are plenty of exciting developments to be explored, and there are plenty of people to share with and learn from. And that is exactly what we will be doing over the next couple of months right here on the podcast. And yes, via the complimentary posts on my blog too. My personal journey into digital peace building. Before we kick off the series of interviews with experts in the next episode, I would like to tell you a bit more about myself and how I ended up to look more in detail into the cross-section of emerging tech and the digital domain on the one hand, and conflict transformation and peace-building practice on the other hand. I started my journey into what we could broadly summarize as digital peace-building back in 2014, more or less, as a direct reaction to the climate catastrophe. It was an attempt to cut down on my travel miles, especially air travel miles. At that time, I was working as an advisor for violence prevention for a German development aid organization. 50% of my time was earmarked for work in the organization's Africa department. The remaining 50% were earmarked for work in the Asia department. The job came with four big international journeys per year, each of them about a month to five weeks. Time spent with partners, supporting them in their violence prevention, conflict transformation and peacebuilding efforts. In an attempt to cut down on air miles, 
combined with my desire to be able to react better and in a more flexible manner to demands by the partners in between the scheduled visits, we started exploring new ideas and began playing around with digital elements to be used in our collaboration. Initially, only to improve our communication, but soon we developed a keen interest and really a joy in exploring the potential of digital peacebuilding initiatives and how they might add value to our work. Soon, the first self-paced online course on conflict transformation essentials for peacebuilding practitioners from all around the globe was available, both as a standalone option or combined with mentoring and live sessions for peer learning and additional exercises. Other ideas quickly followed. An organization of women human rights defenders in India was confronted with a worsening security situation and shrinking spaces for civil society engagement. And on top of it, it looked like they soon would be facing a shortage in their funding. This posed a severe threat to their work in general and to their semi-annual training weeks in particular. New options needed to be explored, and they needed to be explored quickly. One of the possible ways forward was to develop a new weekly advice service delivered straight to each woman human rights defender smartphone. Each week, a law that was relevant to their work was addressed, first in the original text, then in simpler day-to-day -day language, then with added information contextualizing the meaning. This approach made the information accessible and easy to use for everyone in the group. At least, that was the concept we came up with. Unfortunately, this idea never saw the light of day. Unexpected new funding meant the organization decided to fall back on the tested ways of doing things. But I still hope they can explore this option further when a new opportunity arises. Sometime back when visiting Sri Lanka, I found myself one evening in a thrilling discussion with the young peacebuilding and civil rights activists who were brainstorming, pioneering and cost-effective ways to inform people about key elements of a potential truth and reconciliation process. Within a very short time, the group agreed that it wants to reach out to people all around the country, and it wants to do so in the three main languages, so in English, in Singala and in Tamil. And everyone knew the group wouldn't have a lot of resources to do so. Any analog option was quickly off the table. A digital option based on modern technology needed to be devised. An option that could make the most of the very scarce resources, that could be scaled without additional costs, that would engage people in the very places, yes, also digital places, where they were, and that can easily be shared without depending only on the very few people active in the group itself. Within a few hours, a mixture of parallel tracks emerged. One, collaboration with a well-known human rights blogger, then the production and use of short and to-the-point audio files, combined with a set of easy-to-share posts in three languages for social media, took shape. The concept looked promising. If it ever made it from the concept stage to the implementation phase, I must admit, I don't know. And that is a pity, yes. But it was these first encounters with passionate peacebuilders who embraced modern technology, who used digital tools with confidence, and who dared to think outside the box. It was all that that kindled my interest in digital peacebuilding. Within a few years, a new world opened up for me. Yes, partly driven by the need to reduce my travel impact on the planet. Partly I was teased out of my comfort zone by authoritarian regimes and shrinking spaces. Partly in direct reaction to changing dynamics between the partners I worked with and myself. And partly because of decreasing budgets and interests in scaling up work. 
Partly also because I heard about more and more exciting opportunities and saw their potential. A chance to make our work more effective, reach out to new audiences and to people to get involved, change the power dynamics and move agency to where it belongs. The deeper I dived into the realm of digital peace building, the more excited I became. The more I saw digital tools and infrastructures used for malicious purposes, the stronger I felt the need for the peacebuilding community to develop a better understanding of the threats on the one hand, while also exploring new ideas of how to use digital means as an integral part of our work on the other hand. The longer I think about this emerging field, the more I am convinced we need to develop a new mindset, we need to build additional skills and we need a new confidence to be well prepared for the future of conflict transformation and peacebuilding in the 21st century. And I hope that this new podcast series will contribute to increase people's interest in this new field. I hope it will contribute to building the necessary skills, the motivation and the confidence. And I am immensely happy that I will be joined by an impressive list of guests over the next couple of weeks. For example, in the next episode, the one that will be aired on December 13th, 2023, so in two weeks, I will be talking with Anne-Marie Buzatu from the ICT for Peace Foundation. In our chat, we will focus on international humanitarian law and the changes that are needed to adapt its use to an increase in threats arising from modern technology and the digital domain. On December 27th, 2023, I have the pleasure to talk with Daniel Duke Odongo from Ushahidi in Kenya. Daniel will talk about the use of open source mapping for early warning and early action in dynamic conflict settings. And for the first episode of the new year, available on January 10th, 2024, Matilda Vacatorico from GIZ's Civil Peace Service in Bolivia will be my guest. The interview is all about creating trusted online environments for meaningful dialogue processes across conflict divides. And these are just the initial three guests. There are many more to come. Good, so much for now. I hope that gets us off to a good start. And now I can only encourage you to come back in two weeks for the first interview with Anne-Marie Busato from ICT for Peace. So much for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you won't miss out on any of the future episodes. And I would really appreciate if you leave me a rating on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more about the Peacebuilding Practitioner, head over to my webpage, that's www.thepeacebuildingpractitioner.org, where you find plenty of articles from practitioners for practitioners. And if you want to dive even deeper into this field of work, join us for one of our online courses. If you want to learn more about that, just get in contact with me. You'll find the contact details in the show notes or on my webpage.